0: We're in a series called Christians with Addictions, and it comes from Psalm 51, which we're going to look at several scriptures in Psalm 51 today, and uh, here's the sermons of the past 11 weeks. I need you to memorize the titles of the sermons, because in eight minutes, I'm going to do something really cool. So take a good visual. Everybody see? They all start with the letter, so at least you'll get that much of it right. Like we're playing Wheel of Fortune or whatever, you'll at least get that part right. So um, today, it might be the ending of our series. It might not. I don't know. I'll know when Jesus tells me next week. So, it could be though, so it could be at the ending, which is part 12. Today for your notes, I want to talk to you about restore. Restore. Nobody in this room is immune to adversity. Every one of us in here have suffered loss, heartache. We've gone through negative experiences. Sometimes those things happen because the enemy is attacking us sometimes those things happen because a person is against us and sometimes those things happen because we're just plain stupid when these things take place the enemy wants all that negativity and all those um, different painful circumstantial events to destroy the future that God has for you but our God is so good and so amazing He can take all the loss, all the heartache, all the pain Even if you brought it on yourself, he can take it and pay you back with a minimum of double and make your life better, even when it was your fault that all that came on you. Psalms 51, 12, David used the word restore. said, restore to me the joy of your salvation. So I have three points for you today, and point number one is very important. I want to tell you what the meaning of the word restoration is. Point number one, restoration. Uh, it says in Zechariah nine twelve, 12, oh, prisoners of hope, I will restore double what you, has anybody in here ever lost anything? Has anything in your life ever been lost? Has time ever been lost from you? Has a relationship ever been lost? Money ever been lost? It says, and repay you twice for what you, have, su- has, have you ever suffered anything? Okay, everything you've lost, everything you've suffered, even if it was your fault, God wants to bring you out better off than you were beforehand. You say, but God, I'm the one that did wrong. It was me. God said, yep, put your hope in me, and I'll make your life better. God, you don't understand. It was all my fault. Yep, put your hope in me, and I'll make your life better than it was had you not done that wrong thing. But here's the key. you got to put your hope in God, not in people. If you're looking for man to pay you back for what you have suffered, you're going to look the rest of your life. If you're looking for some person that did you wrong to apologize and make things right, it's never going to happen. Restoration comes from God. You have to put your hope in Him. So let me tell you the definition. Um, It seems like with our English dialect, as as our American pride rises, we think that, you know, like because we speak English, we're, you know, we know what's best and we can dominate the world and all. I need you to know the English language did not start until about 1,500 years ago. It has not been around that long, and it's not really that detailed of a language. Uh, you know, Greek and then Latin, and then English came from Latin. Um, years ago, I had this elderly lady tell me, she said, I'm never coming to your church ever. I said, Why? I said, Because you use more than the King James Bible. She said, The King James is the only Bible. And I really busted her bubble when I said, You know, Jesus did not speak English, right? She was shocked. She, I said, Jesus never said thus, he never said thou. He never, never spoke English. So the King James Bible is great, but it's not word for word for word. But yet we think that, you know, English. So when you look up a word in the dictionary, in Webster's Dictionary, that cannot be the final authority of your life. Because even our English language changes. What the word marriage meant years ago in the Webster's Dictionary has now changed in the Webster's Dictionary. So you, you see what I'm saying? So if we want final truth, we have to look and see what God's word says in his definition of a word. Are you with me? You may think the word restoration means um, to make it like it was before, to make it like it was new. Because you think of a person restoring an old car, they're making that old car like it was. That is not God's definition of restoration. That is God's definition of reconciliation. You can put it on the screen. Reconciliation means to bring back to the original condition or to put back together. That is Now, God is a God of reconciliation, but that's not what we're talking about today. Today we're talking about restoration. Here is God's definition of restoration. To make better, to increase, to improve, to multiply, to promote. God's definition is to never bring you out like you were before. When you turn and put your hope in Him, no matter what has happened in your life, He wants to use those same negative experiences. And I'm going to show you at the end of the sermon a scripture that's going to blow your mind. You'd think when we do something wrong, God's going to get a different plan together and use something else. No, no, no. God is so amazing. He uses the exact same thing that was meant to destroy you, and He uses it to promote you. The same addiction that took years off your life, He's going to use that same exact thing thing to add years to your life. That's how good God is. Now, let me show you some scripture. Exodus 22.1 This is the word of God. A thief must pay back five times what he stole. This is God's law and if the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Proverbs 6.30, a thief must restore sevenfold. Isaiah 61.7, for your shame, and the shame is when we've done something wrong, right? For your shame, for your grief, for all the times you've been mistreated, you shall have a twofold recompense. I need you to see God's plan is never one to one. His plan is never to bring you out as if it didn't happen. To bring you out like you were, to make you new. His plan is always to make you better. The enemy tells you, hey, all those things you did wrong, all the bad things that happened to you, don't expect anything good. God says, take all the shame, all the grief, all the being mistreated. I'm going to add it all up and I'm going to multiply it by a minimum of two and pay you back. At least double. Now, I want to show you something really cool, and a lot of you in here, you don't know what it means to be cool, so I'm going to teach you. Um, if you want to be cool like me, what I'm going to show you, you have to think that it's cool. If you don't think that what I'm going to show you is cool, you're not cool. So if you want to be cool, you've got to think this is cool. Cool? Okay, so there's a story in the Bible that I found that has just about every sermon um, in this series in the story. It's amazing, okay? It's really cool. Yes, it is. And so it's about the prodigal son. Remember, the prodigal son had a great family, a loving father, but he demanded his inheritance, and he goes to Las Vegas, and he spends it on the wrong people, the wrong places, he ends up eating pig food out of the back of a McDonald's garbage can. You know the story, right? Okay, why would he eat? pig food when his daddy's rich and his daddy loves him it's because he was hanging out with the wrong people in the wrong places and those people will always pull you down and get you to do things you never thought you would do right okay so he's eating pig food and all of a sudden here's where the story takes place Luke 15:17 it says he came to his senses what did he do he recognized there was a problem Remember that was when I told you to memorize the sermons in the series, right? That was number one. He said, my father's servants have plenty to eat. I'm going to get up. Remember a righteous man falls seven times and he always gets back up. He had to rise up out of that and go to my father and ask him to make me a hired servant. He took responsibility. If I have to pay my dad back, whatever it takes. I'm, now when you take responsibility, that's when God steps in. When you stop doing the blame game, God steps in. Verse 18, and say, Father, I've sinned against God in heaven and against you. He repented verse 20 so he got up and went to his father he replanted himself in the place where he knew god called him to be around the people who he knew god called him to be around and the father said bring the the robe of righteousness is what it represents the family ring the sandals he had to rec- you know you have to remove your pride when you've done something wrong and god wants to bless you you've done wrong and he wants to he wants you to receive Grace, mercy, justice like we talked about. His pride went out the way and he received. Let's have a, celebrate and have a feast. My son that was lost is now found. So they began to celebrate and God restored him and made his life better than it was before he did all the wrong things. That was cool. Yeah. Cool. The second service is going to think it's so cool. Okay. That's- that's where all the cool people come to church. No, too late. You're overdoing it. You're overdoing it. No, you, you can't overdo it. Um, it's like this guy, he, he, he wrote a book about himself. His life story in four chapters. And it goes like this. He said, I, I walked down the street. There was a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fell into it. It wasn't my fault. It took me a long time, but I finally got out. Chapter two of my life. I walked down the same street. There was a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fell into it. It was my fault. It took me a long time, but I finally got out. Chapter three I walked down the same street. There was a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walked around it. Chapter four I no longer walked down that same street. <laughs> If you want God to restore you, there's a process. You need to repent. You need to take responsibility. Recognize there's a problem. And I promise you, God will always bring you out better off than you were before. Your life will be better because of it. Better because of it. Um, In 1 Kings 14, 25, it says that Egypt attacked King Rehoboam and stole. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy all the treasures in the temple, including the gold shields that Solomon had made. Basically, in one day, Rehoboam lost everything. I mean, he went through a terrible loss. He's in charge, you know, and he's thinking, man, now I'm king and we're going to lose all this stuff. But when the enemy attacked him, he let the enemy get away with it. He didn't go after him. He lost his hope. He thought it's just too much. I don't know if I have the energy to believe for anything good. It got so bad in verse 27. It says Rehoboam had bronze shields made to replace the gold. You know what he did? He settled for less than God's best. God had restoration waiting on him. God had a plan. God was going to use those same attacks from the enemy and make his life better. And he thought, it's just not worth the fight. Now, how many times in our life have we missed out on restoration, settled for less than God's best because we lost hope? It's just not worth the fight. Adversity is not what stops us. It's how we respond to the adversity. Everyone in this room, in front of you, behind you, to the left and right of you, they've all gone through horrible things every one of us in here we've all done horrible things and I'm gonna just tell you something that you're not gonna like but I'm a pastor and I know a lot about a lot of people the people you think are the most spiritual are the ones with the most secret sins I just want to tell you that the ones that act all spiritual all the time and you think oh I could never be as good as them they got the most secret sins in their life and it, the enemy lies to us neither lies about two things either he makes you think you're worse than everybody Or you're better than everybody. Listen, we're all in the same boat. We've all, we all have and we've all done, okay? But that's not what stops us. It's how we respond to it. The people that overcome, the people that have victory in life, you'll never have victory without a fight. You'll never be victorious unless you're in a battle. You have to go through it sometimes, which gets me to point number two, and that's this, relentless. You have to set your face like a flint and be willing to go through it to get to your restoration. David said in Psalm 51, verse 10, he said, renew a persevering spirit within me. Verse 12, he said, sustain me. Sustain me with a willing attitude. Give me what I need to get through this mess. I was having lunch with a very, very old and wise pastor many years ago, and and we were talking about problems in life and things we go through. And he said, John Paul, do you know what my favorite verse is in the Bible? I said, what is it? He looked up and he said, and it came to pass. And I said, what did you forget the rest of the verse? He said, No, no, that's it. And it came to pass. That's my favorite verse. I said, that's not even a whole verse. He said, well, that's favorite half of the verse. And it came to pass. And he said, sometimes it passes like a kidney stone. But either way, it came to pass. You'll get through it. It's not going to last forever. I want you to do a little visual with me today. I want you to imagine that you are in the worst crisis of your life right now, okay? You're facing the most horrible addiction you've ever faced, uh, the loss of a loved one, all your retirement money went out, you know, down the toilet in a bad business deal, whatever it is. You know, you've been told you have cancer, some horrible crisis, horrible crisis. And at church today, I said, listen, I believe that God's going to do a miracle, and we have prayer partners down at the front to pray for you. Over here, we're going to have, is Mona? Mona's probably in Sunday school. We're going to have, oh, there she is. Mona's going to be over here, and if you come to Mona's line, she is going to rebuke the enemy on your behalf. Over here, we're going to have Mr. and miss V, and I'm sure they're, in the, so Mr. and Miss V, they're going to pray that God delivers you from that horrible thing you're going through and delivers you immediately. Then over here, we have a special prayer partner. He's visiting with us from heaven. His name is the Apostle Paul. He is one of the greatest apostles who ever lived. He oversaw pastors, churches. God used him to write half the New Testament. And he's over here to pray for you. Now, who would you get to pray for you? Mona, Mr. and Miss V, or the Apostle Paul? Do you want the enemy to be rebuked? Do you want God to deliver you, or do you want the Apostle Paul to pray what he thinks he should pray over your life? And before you answer, everybody's thinking, Paul, okay, let me read you what he's going to pray for you. Oh, y'all said all of them? No, don't worry like that. you got to pick one. you got to pick one. That's like me saying, uh, make any wish. Well, I wish to have a thousand wishes. You can't do that, okay? Colossians 1.11, here's what Paul would pray. We pray that you may be strengthened with power to... Wait a minute, that's not what I want. I want it to go away. I don't want to face the giant. I don't want to have that adversary in my life. I want to get rid of the problem. And Paul says, no, I'm going to pray that you go through this problem with a good attitude. See, this is the difference between delivering faith and sustaining faith. We love to use everything we've learned in the Bible for God to deliver us, but God says sometimes there's things in your life that are part of your destiny and you have to go through it and you need me to sustain you along the way. There are some things that are part of your future you have to go through to get to that future. You have to go through. The heartache, the pain, the loss, it is all part of a bigger plan. You have to go through it. Um... In 1 Samuel chapter 17, it says David was the faithful shepherd. Isn't that so beautiful? A little shepherd boy working at Sonic for $8 an hour. Isn't that so sweet? And then chapter 18, it says David, the king's son-in-law, the most successful and popular captain in the Israelite army. What in the world took place from chapter 17 to chapter 18? One chapter of this young man's life, and he goes from making minimum wage, taking care of animals at the petting zoo, and now he's, he's the vice president of the country? What, what, what did, God, did God answer his prayer by giving him the winning lottery numbers? Is that what God did? Did God give him a magical frog, and when he kissed the frog, it turned into a beautiful princess that just happened to be the king's daughter? They fell in love and lived happily ever after. Is that what happened? Actually, God loved David so much and he wanted to promote him so high. He said, find me the biggest adversary that you can find and put him right in front of David. Find me the biggest problem, the biggest issue. Find me something so big that everyone else is going to be scared to deal with it because I want to promote somebody in this place. It says in 1 Samuel 17, 24, when the Israelites saw Goliath, they all ran away from the problem. They wanted to be delivered, they didn't want to face it. Everybody ran away except for one young man in verse 40. David took his sling in his hand and he ran quickly toward the battle line. It's because if David had ran from Goliath, he would have been running from his destiny. If David gave up and just turned his back on the problem, he'd be running from the very thing that God was going to use to catapult him from chapter 17 to chapter 18 if you would start facing some of these problems head on and run quickly toward the battle line, I wonder how God could use them to bring you out better off than you were before. See, some of you run from everything that's tough in life. You turn your back and run. Somebody offends you. You're out of here. Someone does you wrong at work. You want to quit. You know, someone's mean. Whatever it is, you go through something. You think, God, I can't take anymore. You'll never realize the potential on the inside of you until you run quickly toward the battle line. The very thing sent to kill David was the very thing that God used to promote David. And a lot of times we think this obstacle has been put there to hinder us when actually that obstacle has been put there to help us. See, the way it works is with our destiny, our problems, they're not matched to our present. Our problems are always matched to our future. God would not allow it to come into your life He will not allow that giant to appear before you unless he's already put inside of you giant killing faith. But you'll never know what's on the inside until you run quickly toward, until you set your face like a flint, until you're relentless on the inside. Verse 50 says, David defeated Goliath with a sling and a stone. That tells me David defeated his enemy with the very thing, nothing more than the very thing he already had on him. So you think you need this person to open the door, you need this person to like you, you need this person to help you, you need this to take place, and God says, when a giant comes in your life, I've already given you everything you need between me and you to defeat that giant. You don't need to put your hope in man. You put your hope in God. He'll, he would never allow it to come unless he's given you what you need to slay it. I find that people who have a big destiny, they face big problems. Now, I don't mean to offend you, but I've discovered, you know, I study human nature, and I love, I love speaking to all of us in here, including me, based on what's in our hearts. And I've, I've studied people, and I've realized, and again, I don't want to offend you, but average people have average problems. Ordinary people usually have ordinary problems. But extraordinary people with an extraordinary destiny are always presented with extraordinary issues and problems in life. I, I feel sorry for y'all. Those of you in here, your biggest problem was you got a cold in the third grade and went from an A to a B student you know, for one semester. Oh, I can't believe that. I feel sorry for y'all. But those of you in here that um, you have so much depression in your life, you feel like taking your life, That's because God has something amazing for you. Those of you in here that you've been through horrible tragedies and relationships, it's because God's got something amazing for you. Those of you in here that have gone through cancer, don't ever say you're a survivor. Nowhere in the Bible does it call you a survivor. You are more than a conqueror, you conquered cancer. You conquered it. A conqueror, in Romans eight thirty-seven. a conqueror is someone who goes into a battle knowing they're going to win, and they come out better off. You came out with a testimony. You came out with more faith. You came out knowing how short and precious this life is. You came out with something to help somebody else. You're more than a conqueror. You conquered that cancer. You conquered that depression. You conquered. I, I, I feel so, I want to encourage everyone in here who battles an addiction that is so bad, you think it's going to take your life. That means God has some amazing plans in your future amazing plans. Don't ever give up. It's amazing the potential we discover is on the inside of us when we face our problems head-on. There's a, a football story I want to tell you, so, so bear with me because it's about football. Football is that sport. They take the pigskin and the, the, all the guys, they dress up like soldiers and put on helmets and they run out. Y- y'all know football. Everybody understand football? Okay. I did that for the ladies. So football... There was a, oh Lord, I'm gonna eat that later on, aren't I? <laughs> I did that for all the sissies. Okay, so, so Bear Bryant was the coach of the Alabama football team. Evidently he's a famous coach, okay, years ago. And so one time Alabama was a very important game and they were, they were up by six points. Now six points is really one point in football I don't know why they do that, but you cross the line and you get six points. So really they were up one point. But the way football works, they were up six points. Everybody understand that? Okay, so they're up six points. They had less than a minute left. There's like 30 seconds left of the game. And so Bear Bryant, the coach, told his quarterback, he said, play it safe. Run simple plays just to run down the clock so we can win the game. So the quarterback gets in the huddle. The huddle is when all the guys get together, and it's like they're in a board meeting kind of thing, and they talk about what they're going to Okay, okay, just making sure. Okay, okay, okay. So they get in the huddle, and the quarterback the, the quarterback calls the play, right? But his best friend is the wide receiver. Now, I have no idea what that means, but that was his best friend was the wide receiver. And the wide receiver says, hey, they're expecting us to do those simple plays and run the clock down. We should do something unexpected. He said, just throw me a pass. So the quarterback goes against his coach, Bear Bryant. He goes with his best friend, snaps the ball, throws the pass. The fastest guy on the other team intercepts the ball, and takes off running towards his goal line to to win the game for them. The quarterback for Alabama, who is not known for his speed, very, very slow runner, he takes off after that defender. He chases him down, and he tackles him from behind on the five-yard line, saving the game for Alabama. After the game was over, the opposing coach goes over to Bear Bryant and shakes his hand. He says, what's this about your quarterback? not being able to run. He caught the fastest guy on my team. Bear Bryant smiled and said, your man was running for six points. My man was running for his life. <laughs> it's amazing what we can accomplish when we face a little bit of adversity in our life. You'll never know what your faith is really made of until God presents you with a giant. Psalms 4.1 says, God, you've enlarged me in my times Of distress. I don't like verses like this. I wanted to say you enlarged me when everything was easy and I was happy and I'm floating on a flowery bed of ease, but it doesn't say that. It says it was when I was distressed, when the enemy was attacking, that's when I actually grew in life. As I was meditating on the Scripture this week, it occurred to me that some of the greatest things that God's ever done for me were in the middle of the greatest adversity I ever faced. When I was 10 years old, Um, my dad had a, he had the largest charismatic church in South Carolina back in the 80s. And he had a television show across the nation and a Bible college and a school and thousands of people every week. And uh, for some reason in charismatic churches back in the 80s and 90s, church splits were a very common thing. It's where somebody, you know, talks about the pastor and then they split the church and start one of their own and then it grows and they keep splitting. And there was this horrible church split and in one day we lost everything we had. I lost every friend I had at 10 years old. I didn't know what was going on. You know, my whole life changed overnight. We went to church and there's nobody in church. There's no musicians on stage. And on a Friday night at 10 and a half years old, I prayed a prayer. I said, God, if you teach me how to play the piano, I'll play in church the rest of my life. The next morning, I woke up and I could read sheet music. 10 and a half years old, I knew music theory. I don't play by ear. That's why I can't sing, because I can't hear that things are off. It's all music theory, all reading notes. I have a photographic memory to music, and uh, it happened overnight just like that in one of the darkest times of my childhood. When I was 16 years old, I had my first son. Imagine being in high school and going to prom and saying, I've got to be home by 10 to put my son to bed. You know, um, You think your life's over when you're a teenager and you have a child. It was the greatest gift I could have ever asked for. My oldest old son he, he kept me out of jail, probably kept me out of hell as well. You know, I had to had to learn how to be disciplined, how to stay home from certain events. Taking care of my first child at 16 years old, Logan has brought the greatest joy into my life. Him and his wife have given me my first two grandkids. I can't even tell you what a blessing it was to raise that son. If I had, if 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 if, I, if Logan had been my only son, I would have done parenting conferences all around the world. You know. Then God bless me with some more great kids. But, um, <laughs> but Logan said, so, um, this church was birthed out of adversity. Uh, I had quit and given up, and I went to a nightclub to get a job. And um, the owner of the nightclub, Mark, who did our parody today, he said, no, man, he said, if you go start a church, I'll come play the piano for you. I spent 10 years trying to get him in church, and now that I'm quitting, ready to give up, now you're going to come to church? All of you are here today because I went through hell with a squirt gun. I faced Satan and demons. I can't even tell you how horrible it was. I felt like all I had on me was a little dollar store water gun fighting every demon in the world. You're here today because of the giant that I faced in life. You'll never know what God wants to do in your life until you have the relentless attitude and you face it head on. Point number three for your notes is repurpose. God wants to repurpose. He's the best repurposer there is. Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon formed against you will prosper. <laughs> this is one of those scriptures I'd like to white out and change in the Bible. I wanted to say, no weapon will be formed against you. Doesn't that sound much more encouraging? Hey, you're a Christian. No weapon will ever be formed against you. No, no, no. It implies, remember this, the scriptures for us individually, as an individual, weapons are being formed against me right now. There's a weapon being formed against you right now. Here's the good news. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Unless you allow it to, you don't have to. it. Now, here's, here's, we don't read the scripture after it, okay? Let me tell you what God wants to do in your life because weapons are formed against you. Watch this. The peace, righteousness, security, and triumph over opposition is the benefit you're going to enjoy. Enjoy because you're a servant of the Lord. Um. And when I was in my 20s, some guy from a church uh, came up to me one day. He said, you know, you're really uptight. He said, you're really kind of high energy, and you need, to, you need to relax a little bit and calm down. He said, here, and he gave me a free round of golf to a, a golf place here in Myrtle Beach. He said, golf is for somebody like you, you know. I've discovered he was a liar, and he's probably going to go to hell. Um, <laughs> golf is not for somebody like me at all, okay? It's almost as horrible as fishing, but... um." <laughs> That wasn't, I'm sorry, Randy, I'm sorry, but I'm sorry. But golf and fishing is not for men like me. It's for for wise men, very wise men. Wise men. And so I thought, okay, I'll go try to play golf. And I wanted to drive the cart, because that's always fun, you know? And so uh, I went to the golf course and it was the most beautiful scenery. And I I don't like golf or fishing, but I love botany. I love the study of plants and flowers. And uh, it was the most beautiful landscape I've ever seen. Uh, It was very close. We used to go to Bermuda a lot all growing up because we had a church there. My dad did. And um, and they have beautiful, beautiful flowers, beautiful landscape. It was just like that. I mean, I pull up in the golf course and petunias and um, uh, lilies and tulips and azaleas and oleanders and everything. I mean, it was just the way they had it set up, the colors, the arrangement, the, the way they edged it. I mean, it was immaculate. I've never seen anything as beautiful as this. It was a high-class golf place here in Myrtle Beach. I drove around one time just to kind of take it all in, and then I pulled in the parking space. And when I got out of my car, I stood up, and it smelled like the worst rotten eggs you could ever smell. It smelled like a dead body. And I thought, seeing the age of these people that play golf here, I don't know. I'm just kidding. I'm joking. But anyway, they're so wise on the 18. Okay, and so... I got it, and and you can see all these landscapers everywhere, and I said, what in the world was that horrible smell? And one of them said, that's our mulch. I said, no, 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 I have mulch at my house. It doesn't smell like this. He said, this is very expensive mulch. The number one ingredient is manure. I said, my water? You want me to (laughs) relax and play golf? And I got to deal with manure at the same time. You You know what manure is, right? It's waste. It's crap. It stinks, but you know what it does? It makes the most beautiful flowers you've ever seen. God never wastes anything in our life. God can take our manure and make a beautiful garden out of it. So, what about the crap that we bring on ourselves? See, I need you to see everything in a new perspective. When you're going through crap and life stinks, you just tell yourself that's just fertilizer. God's going to make a beautiful garden out of this one day. I'm going to come out on top. I'm going to put my hope in him. He's going to restore me. Genesis 37, 5 says Joseph had a dream, but when he told his brothers, they hated him. You know how prideful and arrogant that was of him? It was his own fault. What happens next? The the dream was that his brothers would bow down to him. Imagine telling your family, hey, God gave me a vision. Y'all are going to bow. Thanksgiving this year, you better get your knees right because all y'all are going to get on your knees and bow down to me. Can you believe that he had the arrogance? Now, let me just say as a side note, for those of you that get words from the Lord for people, when God tells you something about somebody, that does not mean God's telling you to tell them. When God gives you a vision or a word of wisdom for somebody, that does not mean you're supposed to tell them at all. It means you're supposed to pray for them. Then you can ask God, which is the next step, do I tell them? If he says yes, then you say, God, when should I tell them? And then if he tells you when, then you say, God, How should I tell them? There's a lot of, and then you go to the person and you ask them permission. Can I tell you what I think God is telling me about your situation? So Joseph didn't do any of that. He just went and told them. Let me show you the chapters of his life. Chapter 37 in Genesis, his brothers tried to kill him, and they threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery. Chapter 39, he was accused of a crime he didn't commit and thrown into jail for 13 years this is all his fault. I want you to know it's all his fault. Genesis 40 stabbed in the back by his friend who was the butler who he helped get out of prison and now he's in jail. Thirteen years stabbed in the back by his friend, his family dysfunctional family, throws him into a pit, sells him into slavery, all these horrible things. Now I want to teach you something. Right where you're at is right where you're supposed to be. See a lot of Christians they give up, turn around, run, stop being faithful, stop coming to church. No matter what's happened i don't care if you are in the middle of the worst addiction you've ever faced right where you're at listen real close right where you're at is exactly precisely where god wants you to be if it is at that location that you turn and put your hope in him i don't care how bad it is right where you're at god planned all of this he's so good and so precise He knew the mistake you were going to make. He knew what was going to happen. He knew the people that would come against you. He knew the weapon that was going to be formed. All of that to get you right where you're at if that is the place where you turn to him. So Joseph's in jail for 13 years. And uh, (coughs) Pharaoh has a dream that nobody could interpret. That is, nobody except for Joseph. Joseph. He interprets the dream in Genesis forty-one forty. Pharaoh said, I'm going to put you in charge of my country and all my people will obey your orders. In other words, nothing in your life has been wasted. God has a purpose for every single little thing. So one day, Joseph's brothers, the ones that were supposed to bow down, <clears throat> the ones that tried to kill him, they show up needing food because they're starving to death. When Joseph sees them in Genesis 42, verse 9, it says, Joseph remembered his dream. Now, just real quick, and I'm going to close. You'll always miss out on restoration if you're more focused on the pain than you are the promise. At some point, you're going to have to get over the pain and start focusing on the promise. And we all go through pain. We all want to bring it back up. And, and when it comes back up, that's fine. Pray about it. Deal with it. But then as soon as you're done, go back to the promise. But God, you said you were going to do this in my life. But God, you promised good things. But God, you said you would take all that the enemy meant for evil and turn around for my good. You've got to get back to the promise or you'll miss out. <clears throat> so his brothers bowed down to him. And the greatest scripture that the Bible has inside of it concerning restoration is Genesis 50, verse 20. As far as the evil planned against me, God used those. This is so beautiful. Just take a second and take it all in God used those same plans you'd think he'd come up with a different plan right he's so good it's like it's like a punch to the enemy's gut you thought you were going to destroy him didn't you you thought that giant was going to kill him didn't you you thought that addiction was going to take him down You thought they were going to turn their back on me and never come to church again, but guess what? I'm going to use those exact same plans that were meant to harm you, and I'm going to use it to do good things in your life. There's a small city in South America, it's built on a garbage dump. Everywhere you look, there's trash. Trash in the streets, trash in the river, trash in the yards. All you see is waste. All the children, men, women, their homes are built on trash. All the nearby cities of South America, they come with truck after truck and just dump their trash in this poverty-stricken city. There's no running water. There's no electricity. Nothing but trash. They spend their days, all the families spend their days rummaging around through all the waste, trying to find something they can sell to somebody in a nearby city. They give them five cents for a pound of plastic or, you know, try to get some metal here and there. It didn't look like anything good could ever come out of a garbage dump. One day this musician comes through and he sees kids living and playing in garbage. It broke his heart. So he thought, I want to do something to help the people. I want to start a music school and teach them music but he didn't have any money. So he and his carpenter friend decided to rummage around through the trash with everybody else, trying to get material to make musical instruments. For saxophones, they got pipes and buttons. For drums, they used buckets. For guitars, they found wooden boxes. Even the strings are recycled. For violins, bass, violas, They got metal that somehow they could fabricate and turn into an instrument. He taught the children how to play these recycled instruments. And they turned into the landfill orchestra. (laughs) They travel all around the world in sold out concerts, showing people that you can make music out of trash. Real quick, I just want to show you this video. Entonces entonces, tienen que atender. kids in Paraguay actually made all of the instruments out of trash. Look at this. That's a pork people. Let the gift of music shine through tonight on that stage. loves to take people who have failed and make them an instrument for His greatest purpose. At the end of the report, I saw this famous musician. Uh, He looked in the camera and said, I never thought you could make music out of trash. But that's what God does. He can make music out of our mess, fertilizer out of our failure, miracles out of our mistakes, because He is a God who restores. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heads bowed, eyes closed. We want to take a minute and just give the Holy Spirit a chance to speak to everybody in this room as individuals. Have you ever felt like your whole life is just one big pile of trash? try so hard and then you fail. You try so hard again, you fail again. You grasp for a little bit of hope and then something happens. All of it is part of a plan. He will never Stop the good work inside of you until it is fully and totally complete. So if you're here today and you need restoration in some area of your life, can you just lift your hands so I can pray for you right now? Hands up. Lord, thank you so much for bringing miracles out of our mistakes. Thank you for bringing us out better off than we were before. God, we're amazed that you can take the exact same plan. It was meant to turn us into a garbage dump and use that same plan to make beautiful music for your kingdom. God, I speak restoration to every hand that's lifted in this room. God, I ask that you encourage them to put their hope in you, not in man. Lord, I thank you for giving them a persevering spirit, sustaining them with a willing attitude. Lord, I thank you for the relentless hearts in this room who would refuse to give up. Lord, we thank you for doing what only you can do. Only you, only you can take a broken life. Only you can take sin. Only you can take failure, shame, discouragement. Only you can take waste and make a beautiful garden so Lord our hope is now turned to you we believe right now you're already working on our behalf we believe that you are preparing restoration for our future and we thank you for being the God that restores in Jesus' name everybody said. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Let's bless somebody good and strong. Ready? Go. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May his face shine upon you and be good. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. See you next Sunday for Easter. Be blessed. Have a great week.